Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi everyone, this is Carmen and Christina, and this is Historias Unknown, a podcast where we talk about Latin American history, sometimes it's horrible, and deals with heavy topics like racism, corruption, and genocide. But more than that, it's also about resistance, power, and community. Yes, yes, and I'm very excited about today's topic, Carmen, because I had no idea about her. Again, we're focusing on women as we usually do a lot, but today, or today, this month is March, and we're doing it every episode. Yeah. And also, you have a, a Bukele update for us, right? I do. I have a Bukele bullshit update number two. Okay. <laughs> yeah, perfect. <laughs> yeah, so I, I chose, like, a shorter topic just because I don't know how long your oh, Bukele update it's is. It's not that long. Well, it's like a page. Okay. I guess we'll just uh, we'll just start. Oh, wait, wait. No, no, no. I wanted to thank someone. Somebody left us a review on Apple Podcasts. I use Spotify to listen to our episodes. So um, I randomly decided to go on Apple Podcasts to see just to see if anyone has like left us a review or anything. And I saw that someone did back in August. Oops. <laughs> um, did I send you the screenshot, Christina? Uh yeah okay. yeah you did or did I send it to no you how would did you send it to me when I my God <laughs> <laughs> when you're the one who <laughs> makes no sense I'm sorry I don't know why I said that yes pop etymology said hilarious and well researched two women telling stories about Latina history with a healthy injection of humor the stories are usually really interesting and new information to me at least. They have a good rapport and they deliver the history in a clear and easy way to follow. I don't like a lot of history or science podcasts because they can be really boring and hard to pay attention to. Historias Unknown has a great energy and pacing to it that holds my attention and makes it possible to remember a lot of what they cover. Ah, thank you. Thank you so much. It means a lot to us. Um, and if anyone else is enjoying the podcast, feel free to leave, leave us a excellent review like this one. Yeah, and if you don't like us, um, don't don't do anything. Just just why are you Go even away. here? <laughs> yes, and yeah, I just wanted to say thank you. Um, yeah, so yes, let's continue now with the topic today, Carmen. I oh my god, I not this again, again. <laughs> Carmen. Today I'll be telling you about. <laughs> I'm sorry, Carmen. Today I will be telling you about Juana Ramirez. Okay. And yeah, that name could anyone can have that name. So you're like, who is that? Well, Juana Ramirez was born in 1790. She was a soldier, a heroine of the Venezuelan, sorry, Venezuelan, of the uh, Venezuela War for, I don't know how to say that, <laughs> of the Venezuela War for Independence. And she has earned, or she earned during the war, the name La Avanzadora, the Advancer. Oh, uh, that's cool. It's- Fuck. <laughs> right? 
<laughs> we know she's a bad bitch. So, and uh, this uh, was earned because she was the first to, you know, head into battle. Like, no questions oh, about wow. it. Um, move over, U.S. Marines. Because, <laughs> you know, they're like the spearhead of whatever. Mm. Uh, it's, I've, I've whatever. heard some things so. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> about them, yeah. Uh, I know yeah. a little bit about them. Uh, yeah, something about the ocean. No, <laughs> the first ones into into battle. Something about the ocean. What? No, they're like the spearhead of. The, yeah, they call yeah. themselves. A, yeah, I know. Whatever. I'm just kidding matter. because it would make someone oh. mad. <laughs> I see. That doesn't listen. They are so it part of the matter. navy. So yeah, yeah. You know what? Some would say I know too much about them. I and, and I didn't learn this information voluntarily. I learned this against information. our will. <laughs> yeah, our brother is a marine, and she was also her um her husband is also yeah. But he doesn't like talk about it like our brother does. No, I know it's Excessively. all like, it's all because of our brother uh, against our will. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> he won't shut up so, about it. Okay, um, so go on. Yeah, back to Juana Ramirez. She was also Afro. Venezuelan. I said it right this time. You know, it sounded like the first time, so I don't know. What? Okay. Well, she was also a black woman. Oh, I got that. I'm just saying that the way Venezuelan? you said Venezuelan, it sounded the same as the first time. Like, I don't hear a difference. Venezuelan. Venezuel. Maybe, maybe it just sounds weird in English. I think that's it. I think that's it, honestly. <laughs> All right. So before I talk about Juana Ramirez, it is important to know a little bit more of the context uh, and the war for independence, because it's something I know nothing about. However, I will not be getting into too much of it because honestly, the military stuff is kind of boring. This is not a war history podcast. (laughs) It's not a military history podcast. No, it's not. (laughs) So the Venezuelan war for independence is part of the Spanish-American wars. So this is when, like, everybody was like, fuck the Spanish, and all rebelled at the Mm -hmm. same time. Like, everyone. Bolivia, Chile, Colombia, Ecuador, Mexico. We talked about this a little bit because... Yeah, because I just covered... um, La Madre Patria. Yes, La Madre Patria from Argentina. And this is all the same time period. Because, again, everybody was like, we're not doing this with the Spanish anymore. You guys are out. But I think I didn't say in that episode, all of these rebellions began shortly after the French invaded Spain during the Napoleon, Napoleonic Wars. No, I didn't know that. You know, Napoleon's ass was like out here trying to invade. and yeah colonize more mm-hmm. <laughs> he was trying to colonize the colonizers <laughs> yeah wow it's like a like a up upgraded level colonizer like a yeah the, uh, like a level, final two. level like the uh, oh my god yeah like a level nine thousand boss level um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> boss level colonizer yeah so so napoleon did invade spain and when this happened i think it was like the perfect opportunity plus rebellions were already brewing a little mm. bit but this was like, well, it makes sense that people took advantage of that time because Spain was being invaded and obviously they could, didn't have the... They were going to be weakened. Yeah. And yeah, that's as far as I'm going to get into <laughs> it. <laughs> because again, a uh, lot of names, a lot of generals, too much stuff. 
a little bit more about Venezuela's fight for independence, though. Uh, there was a lot of years of fighting, just like all of these wars for independence. Uh, there were periods of pe where the people in charge, the government changed. And then there was also periods of reconquest where the Spanish... Um, and I almost wanted to write recolonization instead of reconquest. Mm. <laughs> I don't like the word conquest. I'm yeah. Like, this, was a, this was colonization, not conquest. There was periods where the Spanish went back and took power again, right? Mm -hmm. um, so the war officially lasted from 1810 to 1823 in Venezuela. The Spanish tried to invade Venezuela again in 1823, but they were defeated. And Juana Ramirez was instrumental to that defeat of the Spanish and to Venezuelan victory. But yeah, it's, it's, it's always a lot of like moving parts and you're like... It's easy to lose track of. So that's as far as I'm going to talk about the war yeah. specifically. <laughs> I'm good with that. <laughs> I knew you would be. Which um, so that you're like me. <laughs> I'm just that kidding. That we're both dumb. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I knew you were going there. JK. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so Juana Ramirez was born January 12, 1790 in Chaguaramal, Guarico. Oh my. Those are some names. Hard words, hard <laughs> words. <laughs> her mother was named Guadalupe, but I want to emphasize that this was not her real name. Her real name has been lost to oh. history because... It's like a colonized name? Oh. Yes. She was taken from Africa, her mother, and was enslaved in Guarico by the Rojas family. So they were the ones who gave her the name Guadalupe. Just like the last name Ramirez is not Juana's mm -hmm. real last name. Um, but their names, like so many have been, they were taken, it was taken from them. Yeah. So Guadalupe is the name given to her by her enslaver, uh, Juana's mom, Guadalupe. And then before I do talk a little bit about more about Juana Ramirez, I do want to talk a little bit about Venezuela and their history with enslavement, uh, because I didn't know much about it either. Mm hmm. Like a lot of Latin America, Venezuela does have a history of trafficking and enslaving Africans. Uh, between 1576 and 1810, approximately 100,000 Africans were taken and trafficked across the Atlantic Sea by the Spanish. Uh, and they were taken from, you know, countries in Africa like Angola, Senegal, Gambia, Nigeria, Congo. And there was uh, like five others that I didn't write down because that was like, that's a lot. <laughs> <laughs> but... Just, you know, just yeah. show that they were taken from these places. Um, in Venezuela, the enslaved were forced to work in either gold mines or sugar plantations, especially in the Los Llanos region of Venezuela. And I don't know if you recall from if anyone else listens to a Spooky Tales, but legends uh, from Venezuela, a lot of them happen in the Llanos region, oh. like El Silvón. Okay, I remember the him, but I don't remember the region it came from. Okay, La Sayona, also mm. from the Llanos region. And if you see posters of Las, or not posters, um, statues of La Sayona, she has like uh, textured hair. Oh. Isn't that, I don't remember if it was in the Spooky Tales that you talk about it or if I read it somewhere else, but um, that in a lot of areas and regions where horrible traumatic stuff happened, like a lot of myth making comes from that because people needed a way to explain the horrible things that were happening to them it could have been us because i remember saying things similar to that yeah 
Um, but also, I think Monstras and Susto have all said it too. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I listen to all of those. So, yeah. yeah it's hard to know where, <laughs> where I Yeah, but yeah. We've all said it yeah. in different episodes. But yeah, it's true. Also, I only bring this up because I want to do an episode in the future. And when I'm listening to this, I'm going to remember like, yes, I need to cover this. But <laughs> there was a huge uprising led by a man known as El Negro Miguel or El Rey Miguel that took place in 1552 in the Llanos region. And yes, I want to look into that. Mm. <laughs> and um, also by the year 1720, various communities of escaped, formerly enslaved Africans began to form there was approximately 30,000 escaped, uh, now free Africans in uh, Venezuela and still about 60,000 still working in the plantations. And Afro-Venezuelans were instrumental in the war for independence. In the beginning, they sided with the Spanish because they saw the um, people, a lot of the people that were rebellion, rebelling in the beginning were all also like local born people of spanish descent so they weren't spanish okay. in the sense that they came from spain but their whole family was spanish yeah. right mm -hmm. so they were white they were spanish yeah. those they were creoles creo creole yeah. i don't know what the word is and so a lot of the people rebelling were it was them it wasn't uh indigenous people mm -hmm. right they were like the rich people because they can pay the armies they mm -hmm. can afford to do this in the beginning yeah so the uh, these were also but they were like the enslavers yes yes and so naturally africans and <laughs> the enslaved people saw them as their enemies uh so they didn't side with the rebellion because they were enslaving them mm, of course yeah yeah, so they did, a lot of them did fight with the Spanish in the beginning. Um, but uh, do you know who Simon Bolivar is? It sounds very familiar, but I don't remember. Okay, he is basically the person that, the highest, highest person that like led a lot of these rebellions, especially uh, in the South American region. I want to say that, well, I mean, including Venezuela, but Simon... Yeah, actually in Venezuela, he but he was also leading uh, the rebellion in like Colombia, Ecuador, Peru, Panama okay. and Bolivia um, but and, and Venezuela. And I think he was the president of Venezuela at some point. But he was he was he was like the leader of the rebellion in all these places. At some point, I think he wanted to create he wanted to be like the president of all these countries, but they wanted their own government. Mm -hmm. um, right. Mm -hmm. um, that's besides the point. But. Simon, Simon Bolivar, he saw the value in, in you know, the, these enslaved people. And um, he announced the abolition of slavery if they won oh. in 1812 and again in 1816. And this is when all of a lot of I mean, most of them joined then the rebellion. And um, and this was the way they won they needed the numbers and so you know formerly enslaved african and uh black people they were instrumental to a lot of revolutions in latin america mm. um i mean as we heard last episode yeah. with la madre patria mm -hmm. and you know in argentina they made up a lot of the forces too um and yeah and that's also the case here in uh venezuela um okay so now back to juana ramirez Sorry, I'm like jumping around a lot. This is just how I wrote my notes. 
Oh, uh, I feel you because I do that all the time too. And then yeah, I, I just and then I writing. don't go back in and fix it how I want. And then <laughs> oh, I'm like, you know what? I have noticed because you're like, this is how I wrote my notes. And <laughs> yeah, and yeah. I always mean to. It's just like it's like a flowing thought of like going back to my notes and oh, I remember this and that, whatever. And then mm-hmm. I'm like, I mean to go back and write it in a more in a way that makes more sense, and I don't. So yeah, side note, but like in school when you had to write outlines first. Yeah, I never could do that. I always wrote the paper because, you know, you'd have that outline due and then like a week later yeah. the paper would mm-hmm. be due. The outline, I wrote the entire paper and then I would have to go back and make up the outline because mm. <laughs> I can't outline anything. I just start writing it like I, and then next thing I, I do know, an outline, but I never would do it the way like they would want because I would just write the general things I wanted to talk about. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, back to Juana Ramirez. And just to remind you, Carmen, and everyone, including myself, she was born to an enslaved woman named Guadalupe, who renamed Guadalupe. And this made her also enslaved. Their enslaver was a Spanish army general named Andres Rojas. When she was a little girl, she was given to a Spanish woman named Doña Teresa Ramirez de Valderrama. Also, did you know that Doña referred to the spanish women that's where doña like in no, mexico and all know. these countries so doña it wasn't was, like senora it was like doña was a spanish woman yeah so if you listen to the hacienda you know how they say doña oh um to like the sister of the yeah yeah that's that's why oh. uh and i didn't know that um mm-hmm. until a little bit ago we should do a whole episode on the history of the word doña <laughs> Okay, back to this. So uh, she was given to Doña Teresa Ramirez de Valderrama. And this is why she has the last name Ramirez, Juana Ramirez. I'm just going to call her Juana, though. Yeah. Um, so Juana was well aware of the brewing, re- brewing revolution. And in 1810, she was brought back from Doña Teresa Ramirez de Valderrama's, uh, I don't know, home estate and and reunited with her father Andres Rojas who at this point he was against Spanish rule himself again like I was saying earlier a lot of the Spanish uh, people were against Spanish rule and he was no exception to that so when the war broke out he had his own he was already a general in the Spanish army but he already had his own like troops that followed him right and so he, it wasn't hard for him to join the rebellion mm. and have an already force, already have forces behind him. Um, but he was the one who, who put Juana in charge of the battery of women. And this was an al- artillery unit of 100 women. And she was in charge of it. Wow. Juana and her battery of 100 women quickly became known for their bravery. bravery. <laughs> Sorry, I can't talk. <laughs> known for their bravery, fearlessness, and for making the first move to attack the enemy. They were also very resourceful. They did a lot of resupplying uh, forces with ammunition and weapons. Uh, during one battle that took place in May um, 25th, 1813, Juana picked up the sword of a dead Spanish officer and just ran through gun smoke and bullets flying at her um, when no one else was like moving forward. And 
they were like beginning to lose until she did this. Uh, the rest of the forces saw this woman advancing on her own, then her battery of women following behind her. Behind her, and that's when they were like, you know what? We need to keep fighting. Wow, <laughs> these men were ready to give up, <laughs> but Juana was like, no, <laughs> we're gonna keep going. <laughs> That's why her name is La Avanzadora. Yeah. She's like, we're going, whether you follow or not. So she went and they followed her into battle and they won, but they were losing. Mm. If it wasn't for her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, this became known as the Battle of Alto de Godos. And uh, they did win, um, even though they were severely outnumbered by the Spanish. Um, so, again, she was instrumental to, to the war. Once this battle was over, Juana and her 100-woman battery secured a safe location to set up quarters, and they tended to the wounded, the children, elderly in the area. They also buried the dead. They refurbished cannons. They resupplied ammo. They were doing Um, everything. It sounds like they did everything. Yes. Yes. (laughs) At some point during all this, the Spanish did force them to retreat. But they didn't retreat like we're done. No, they retreated into the mountains of the area and they kept fighting from the mountains. So they engaged in guerrilla actions mm-hmm. to continue fighting the Spanish. And this is when Juana became even more of a legend. Her forces held those mountains and eventually the Spanish were forced to retreat completely. Good. Right. And that much is known after... Sorry, I wrote the wrong date. That was in 1823, not 1813. My bad. Uh, Yeah, because 1823 was when the Spanish tried to reconquer this area. Mm. And Juana and her 100-woman battery were like, nope. And they... That's when they were fighting. And so that was 1823, not 1813. That was my bad. After this, not much is known about her life. It was like lost to history. This was also like basically the end of the war 1823 Mm -hmm. so uh not much is known uh, except until her death in 1865 and the cause of her death i can't find probably just age or natural Mm -hmm. from because there's nothing else like oh she was murdered or she had cancer like it is i can't find anything like that so uh she passed away in 1865 and she was buried in the common cemetery in the area it was like a local cemetery to the neighborhood she was born in, um, in Guarimico, I think is the name. Guarim, let me sure I'm saying that right. You scroll back up. Mm-mm-mm. Sorry, <laughs> of course I said it wrong. Guarico. Oh, you like added <laughs> a me. I added an M and an I. Yeah. <laughs> Guarico. Yeah. Okay. So let me scroll back then. Um, that's where she was buried. Uh, locals of the neighborhood placed a cacti on her gravesite to act as a marker for her burial location, but also to honor her memory. And many decades went by where she like basically had no recognition for her role in the war, mm-hmm. except by locals in her hometown that had the grave, the marked grave, and m- people went to see her regularly. Uh, but other than that, like nobody knew. Until 1875, a, sorry, 19, 1975. Oh, wow. Um, there was a monument constructed in her honor, but then again, nothing until 1994. The uh, regional patriotic sanctuary was designated as her final resting place. Uh, and a monument of Juana la Avanzadora was built and placed on Bolivar Avenue in 
Maturin Monagas, Venezuela. And then it wasn't until 2001, October 23rd, 2001, that her symbolic remains were induced into, inducted? Sorry, I think it has to be inducted. inducted. <laughs> like, induced? I missed the T. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Her remains were, <laughs> her remains were inducted into the National Pantheon of Venezuela. And this is the last resting place for many heroes of the War of Independence, but also just people that have made history in Venezuela. This is where they um, are resting. And she wasn't put there until 2001. And this National Pantheon also has a section that's called the National Mausoleum of Heroes. She was not put in that mausoleum until 2015. Oh, my. Yeah. And she's... It's a long time. Yeah. <laughs> and she's actually the first black woman uh, to be posthumously laid to rest in the ma- mausoleum of heroes. There's only six women in this national mausoleum of heroes, and she's the only black woman there. Wow. Mm-hmm. During that ceremony, when this was done, there was a lot of people present, obviously, because they're you know, always is. But a woman named Nora Delgado, she is an Afro-Venezuelan herself and a delegate of this uh, union of women in Venezuela called Una Mujer, in all caps lock, so I don't know what it stands for. Mm-hmm. Anyway, um, she stated, we vow to follow the example of struggle which Juana has set for us. Women can only be truly liberated by a socialist revolution. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> Speaking of that, and no, I'm just going to go on. <laughs> oh, okay. Oh, what? No. <laughs> Juana rests with over 100 national heroes, and she is one of six women in this mausoleum and the only black woman. I just wanted to uh-huh. put it all together in a nice sentence. Yeah. I said all that scattered, but uh, yeah. now it, that's in a sentence that makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> it made sense before. Oh, okay. Okay. Well, I wanted to repeat it. <laughs> but yeah, I, that's that's the, the whole thing. Uh, there's not a lot of information on her, but there was enough that I was like, she needs a no- her own episode. No, I, I love that. And I love the quote that she said. I forgot her name already. I'm really bad with names. Um, Something Delgado. <sighs> you forgot to. <laughs> you know, Carmen, Carmen, it's it's our ADHD. <laughs> um, because, okay, it, it made me think of it or her quote made me think of it. And oh, Nora. Nora, Nora okay. Delgado. Nora Delgado's quote made me think because she, you know, talks about women can be liberated, you know, by these means or whatever. And, you know, this week on the 8th, we just had International Women's Day. We did. And I I don't want to be like a hater, but naturally I am. <laughs> naturally, yeah. Um, and I saw so many people posting that. First of all, like taking out the International Women's Day part of it, just saying Women's Day. It's not Women's Day. <laughs> it's and it's not national. Women's it's Day. International Women's Day. And it came from a workers' rights movement for women. Um, oh, did it really? I'm pretty sure. Yeah. I didn't know that. And now it's like uh, worldwide, internationally, like a like a feminist movement, right? Um, it, it's so much that, that in, in a bunch of countries, like women march on that day. And even here, there's like a lot of marches on that day as well. But like I saw so many posts like about Oh, happy Women's Day. Like, it's not happy. <laughs> that day is for <laughs> women to fight for liberation, to fight against oppression. And 
like I saw so many people like, oh, I'm going to celebrate the woman in my life for being great mothers and (laughs) wives. And I'm just like, those are all great things. I'm not, I obviously I don't have anything against being mothers, but Yes, I know. International Women's Day. That's not what it's about. Yeah. It's not Mother's Day. We have a day for that already. Exactly. So yeah, it's not like the equivalent of Mother's Day, but for all women, that's not what International Women's Day is. And it's completely been, at least here, I feel like in the United States, all the, yeah, all the emails I got from all the uh, stores and stuff I need to unsubscribe to. But uh, (laughs) Uh, I got so many um, emails about sales, like 20% off. Go woman. It's a woman's day. And, you know, in a capitalistic society, it's bound to happen. Yeah, it is. It is. But I just needed to go on that rant because. Understandable. It's it's bullshit. And speaking of bullshit, (laughs) we bring you another segment (laughs) of Bukele Bullshit. And yes, I will be adding the little news sound and a little echo when we say bukele bullshit. (laughs) (laughs) There have been some developments. Yeah. And um, some of it is a little bit old uh, because we kept forgetting to write this segment. Yeah. As in we, me, I did not write it. And as you can see, I still didn't write it. Doing Christina's job. (laughs) It's fine, though, because she does the most most of the job for this uh, (laughs) podcast. (laughs) True, true. <laughs> so it's fine. It's fine. Um, but okay, on February 15th, El Salvador extended the state of exception once again. And that marked a year of the exception being in place. We can only expect that it'll be extended again this month by the mm-hmm. time this episode's released. Because today, May as 11th. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so it will probably be extended again. Um, and we've talked a lot, a lot about the state of exception. Um, but we more have. than 64,000 Salvadorians, as of February 15th, I should say, more than 64,000 Salvadorians had been arrested under the exception and many have been rearrested after being freed. Okay, on to the next thing. <laughs> El Faro <sighs> has obtained documents indicating that El Salvador's National Civil Police obtained access to spyware software and equipment through a $2.2 million... What did I say that weird? $2.2 $2 million. Yes. $2.2 2 million. Um, it's your ADHD. <laughs> She's not going to let that go. Um, a 2.2... personality. Sorry, sorry. Shut up. A 2.2... I can't. <laughs> it's my ADHD. A 2. <laughs> A $2.2 million contract with the Israeli company iTech Solutions. Wow. Um, this company used to have an $89.4 million contract with El Salvador to provide video surveillance cameras. And it's also known for distributing products such as the Pegasus software. I was going to yes. ask before if this was Pegasus because I've heard about Pegasus. Yeah, it's oh Pegasus. Oh my God. Pegasus software was used against journalists and activists last year to like, that's like spyware software, basically. Yeah. I think it like listened on phone calls. I don't know what mm-hmm. else, but basically your, it, it could access your phone data. Yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so information, phone calls, everything, pictures, videos. Yeah. And a lot of that was used, has been used to arrest people as well under the state of exception. And it just not... It's not good all around. Like we, you have like a a state of uh surveillance, 
that is expanding its like law enforcement powers, I guess. I don't know what to say, but uh, or how to say it, but you have like a, a, a state of mass surveillance and now mass incarceration um, with a state of exception in place, which means they can basically do what they want and you have no legal mm-hmm. rights. And so I, I understand that people within all the right are like, oh, these are these are mareros that are being arrested. Oh, they've done this to my family. And yeah, mm-hmm. that, that all of that is true. And like we are not and no one that is against the state of exception, against the pro-mass incarceration, against a pro-mass surveillance state is trying to minimize or negate what people have been through. But I think what people, people are not letting their feelings and, and they're well, like validated feelings, right, about mm-hmm. uh, areros. They're letting that blind them into also realizing like your rights are also being taken away exactly yes and it's um also i don't know how many more of these he's gonna do but um let me look up his i know his instagram is still puchikadani but what is his uh twitter isn't it it's not the same is it the same i don't know i'm asking (laughs) oh it is it is puchikadani or uh daniel al alvarenga Mm -hmm. he's been doing twitter spaces talking about El Salvador and the state of exception. Sadly, they're always when I work. <laughs> but they're saved, right? I mean, they are saved. Yeah, I've been um, wanting to so, listen to it, too. Yeah, we sh- we really should. But, I mean, yeah, it goes back to the, the same thing. Like you already said, yes, Mareros have done things that are horrible to people. And being against the state of exception doesn't, you know, take that away that these things happen. But, you know, you also have to think about, like, mass in- mass incarceration is not, it's n- has never, in the history of anything, in its existence, has never helped make anything better. So when we see all these videos and people, including Salvadoran people here in the United States, like, oh, I can go to El Salvador now, it's so safe. Safe for who? Because people, if, <laughs> like, I still, I don't think you know, everyone that looks like a gangster should be put in jail, right? But people are other people that don't fall into that category of mareros. They're also being arrested. And it's just, yeah. uh, I mean, we've already said all this. I just, uh Yeah, and Dicho Zone Beach also has a great post. Um, uh, the first post or image of it, I guess, is um, it says, let's learn about due process in El Salvador or the lack thereof. And that's basically what is, you know, going on with the state of exception, right? Like the state of exception allows the police to act as judge, juror, prosecutor. You know what I mean? Like they, yeah. they, and they know this. Yeah. As we talked about in the state of exception episodes and giving the police that much of power, um, unquestioned power that never ends well. <laughs> N- no. But, you know, people don't want to see it. Mm -hmm. You know what's even worse is that people here in the United States that have, like, literal ACAB on their profiles... Yes, yes. ...are still justifying mass incarceration, police state violence Mm -hmm. uh, in El Salvador. And I'm like, I'm sorry, does that not apply everywhere to you? I don't understand. I guess not. I guess it only applies here. (laughs) 
as long as they can travel safely to El Salvador and get their pupusas and go to Surf City. To that chicken, please. And to El Pollo Campero. <laughs> I also did see recently that the... I forgot his name, but I mentioned that guy in as one of the Bukele government people, um, mm-hmm. like a close official um, to Bukele. I don't remember his name right now, but I did mention his name in the previous Bukele episodes. Um, yeah. But he traveled to Atlanta, you know, you know, the whole yes. cop city debacle or debacle. I mean, that's happening over there. Yes. And met with cop city people. Cop country and cop city. Yes, that's how I saw it. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Meeting together. Yeah. Um, and it just, it is. Also, wasn't Bukele just on Tucker Carlson? Um, I don't remember how recent, unless he went on there again. <laughs> Cause, uh, I could have sworn he no, was he, recently No, he on did there. go on there. I just, I thought it was a little while ago. But hello, like the only, so he won't meet with journalists or press um in El Salvador anymore or anyone else other than like Fox News right wing people and that should be telling you something that's a yeah how is that not how, how I just I can't I have no words <laughs> yeah <sighs> also oh sorry is your update done or no no I have more I just thought you were looking okay, up okay. whether he went on Tucker Carlson recently. yeah it was like last month okay time. yeah that's what I thought yeah okay okay which is still well within our time frame here because we are talking about like um, yeah. last month. <laughs> okay. Did you have something else to add or do I go on? Uh, no, you can go on because I'll just add on to the end. Okay. In Bitcoin news, <laughs> El Salvador U.S. ambassador Milena Mayorga announced plans for El Salvador to open a Bitcoin embassy in Texas. And why? Ugh. It's not even successful in El Salvador. No, no. It's not successful anywhere. It's not. It's a scam. Um, I didn't write about it here because I only found an article in from El Faro in Spanish. And I'm not smart enough to uh, process what it means in English <laughs> um, or to trans. I guess, yeah. Like, I, I don't know how to translate it in English or, like, and I tried uh-huh. looking up more about it and I could not find any, like, English articles. But essentially, um, the El Salvador, Salvador Congress, which we know is full of Bukele's party, mm-hmm. um, passed a law, like, some kind of financial law, basically al- allowing themselves, like, the government to spend whatever money, like, without question, <laughs> Oh my um, God. And I mean, there's a smarter way to say this, which, you know, we already said we're dumb. <laughs> so <laughs> don't come that. for me. I'm not a financial person, um, <laughs> which is why, again, I didn't include it here, but I wanted to mention. Um, yeah. And I think I talk about it later on. Right. But in my this update, but uh-huh. Bukele and his regime tout themselves as not like the previous his predecessors. Right. But they're stealing money just the same. There's a whole slew of money that is like missing that was supposed to be used for pandemic stuff that he just used for himself and his party. Mm-hmm. Um, they they make um, they collaborate with gangs. Um, exactly what the people no, there is nothing doing. new about this except that he's pushing the government more and more into authoritarianism more than his predecessors. That's Faster. the new idea. <laughs> yeah, that, that is the new idea that we're going to become more right wing at unheard speeds. Like, Yeah. 
Let's see. And then I just wanted to mention a lot of uh, this news came from Central American News, a great Instagram page to follow. And then they also have a Substack that you could subscribe to. Oh, um, uh, send me the link. Yeah, I'll Unless send it's it. in your, yeah. Uh, yeah, it is. Google it's, Talk. Okay. it is. Yeah. Um, in Indigenous Rights News, El Salvador, I always have trouble saying El Salvador's ministry. <laughs> the Ministry oh, of I Education know. of El Salvador. That's better. Mm-hmm. Has disbanded the cuna. Oh, and I forgot to ask you how to say. I did see that. Is it now? Now what? Yeah, right. Yeah, the cuna Nahuatl revi- revital revitalization revitalization. Yeah, I said it after <laughs> you did revitalization program and replaced it with its own initiative called Nest of Linguistic Immersion. And I guess this is part of some growing together law, which I did not look into the law because I'm not I don't care about that right now. <laughs> so, um, well, it's a great thing to promote you know, Nahuatl language education, this should be led directly by indigenous people instead of a government program. Plus they already had the program had in place. Like a really and it was working well it established program yeah. that was working. Yeah. So it should be obvious that this is not the right move. Um, because yeah. indigenous teachers and parents were frustrated at the closure of the only program in the, in the country that was yes. that has already successfully like revitalized Nahuatl. Yeah. Um and then I, I found a little bit more information about that. So Nahuatl um is also known as Pipin. Um and it's the last indi- indigenous language spoken in in El Salvador with less than a hundred native speakers. Dikuna Nahuatl. Uh, I don't know because I know I follow someone on Twitter that is Lenka, not Pipil. Oh. But that's another indigenous group. It's just, I think it's smaller though, but I'm pretty sure that they have Lenka speakers that she talks with, like, because she's um, like Afro Salvadorian oh. and she goes back and forth. Oh, you know I what? Don't know. She's not on Twitter anymore when the exodus happened. <sighs> so I, and I didn't like write down her Instagram. Damn. Well, this came from the El Faro article, so I don't know. That's what it said on there. Mm, okay. Um, and it's the, probably the last big one, I think. Well, it has less than a hundred native speakers, so I don't know how well, big that's that is. Already sad. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there probably is more languages spoken. Um, but I think yeah, this is probably probably the biggest language. Yeah, I think so. Um, so the Kunanawan is a language immersion center where indigenous children between with the ages between three to five, um, they develop like play activities in Nahuatl and they're guided by native speaking women who interact with them exclusively in Nahuatl. So it's not like a, you sit down and you learn. It's like you play because that's how kids learn. It's immersive. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So under this program, the indigenous women that became educators, um, they underwent intensive training in early childhood education and language immersion. Wow. So it's not some like rinky It's not dink. just a language program, but it's also a well-developed yes, child with education the, program. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is, it's like a child education program in Nahuatl. Yeah. Um. So it's community, it was community led, um, community like involved, right? Um, with support from um, indigenous parents, municipal leaders, um, local indigenous people. And it's the complete opposite of a program, the <laughs> government program that takes all of that away. <sighs> yep. 
And because it's government led and this is the Bukele government, you know, they're going to yeah try and sprinkle in some propaganda. Exactly. Yeah. So the closure of the Kunas program, it, it violates indigenous rights. Mm-hmm. They have the right to be educated in their mother tongue. Yeah. And this should be, like I said before, like led by them, you know, like you can't yes. have some an outsider come in and say, I'm going to teach you your language now. <laughs> That's not how that works. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. Yeah. So, I mean, that's sad. And and obviously, like, the Bukele government is no different than any other state government, right? Where they engage in, like... And, and it's genocide to not yeah. let people learn their language. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, in that sense, it's no different than any other state government. But it's sad, nonetheless. It is. And lastly... In an unsealed indictment, the U.S. DOJ, the Department of Justice, asserted that the Bukele administration protected gang members wanted for crimes in the U.S. by skirting their extradition and in one case, releasing a gang member from prison before he finished his sentence just so he wouldn't be extradited. And this was Kruk, by the way. (laughs) We talked about him. Yeah. Um, oh, he's the one you talked about in the State of Exception episode. Yeah. And of course, many of us knew this and we yeah. talked about it before. Mm-hmm. Um, but this indictment, it just further like legitimizes the concerns that we have and other people have that the Bukele regime collaborated with gangs and basically makes it a fact that the Bukele regime negotiated with MS-13 and offered top gang leaders financial benefits and facilitated the communication so that they could maintain control like outside and inside of the prisons. Mm -hmm. A journalist from El Faro asked a DOJ official if, given the indictment, um, the U.S. government considers the Bukele administration to be a collaborator with the gangs, and the official responded in the most government official response by saying the language of the indictment speaks for itself. What I can say is that in a number of situations, the government of El Salvador has cooperated with gangs. <laughs> Instead of just saying yes. Yeah. <laughs> That's why I said in the most government response. Yeah. Way. Wow. But yeah, I mean, this is nothing Did you new. include, sorry, did you include his tweet, Bukele's tweet about this? No, what... What was okay, the tweet? I didn't even find um, it or see it. I didn't save it, but basically he was like, the United States um, is is saying that we're violating human rights when they're jailing innocent people and we're jailing pres- or gang members. Oh, yeah. And it's like... Yeah. Okay, I did see it. I just didn't include it. And, 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 and <laughs> it's... it's <laughs> Just because the United States is doing that. And yes, I mean, we know the United States has problems with mass incarceration and that the victims of mass incarceration are black people and people of color. Like, we know that. But just because it's happening here doesn't mean he's not doing that also. (laughs) Yeah. He's very much doing that. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. Uh, he's, He's just like silly, like trying to deflect. Yeah. Also, when this uh, indictment came out, um, is when he um, released the images of all the supposed Ugh. or alleged, right? We should say alleged because how, how many of these people are being held and haven't been charged yet um, or convicted, I should say, not charged. Yeah. And we know that um, innocent people 
are being held without being convicted, without being charged yet. Um, we know that. Yeah. So, yeah, when this indictment came out is when he released that image of all the supposed gang members being transported to the big prison. Remember that? And that made its rounds. Oh, my God. Yes. It was horrifying to see. Ugh. And then so many people were celebrating this. And it's like, what is wrong with everyone? Uh, Why are yeah. you celebrating this? And um, and it was just to deflect to take a, so that people wouldn't see the indictment that obviously shows he and his government have been collaborating Colluding. with gangs. Colluding. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm just like, how do people not like, how do you reconcile that okay Bukele is coming over here you know with his mano dura and arresting other gang members okay then why does he collaborate collude give financial benefits to top gang members like how do you reconcile those two together yeah how do you how is that not an issue for you yeah (laughs) and i don't think they have anything to say no that instead of like really sitting with that and thinking about that they're like oh oh so you love mareros oh so you love gang members eh. and it's like uh no one ever said that i'm asking yeah. how do you support this president who says he's against gangs but colludes with gangs how do you explain yeah. that they'll be like oh everyone's done that okay this does this not show you he is no different he and is actually just he's the worse. same exactly exactly and <laughs> yeah, he's touting yeah. himself again as this uh president that's different who's you know hard With on crime ideas. he's a criminal himself <laughs> yeah like yeah. it's just bullshit yeah. it's just spookily bullshit yeah and while i'm here i saved the quote from this other instagram page that i saw and just really made me think of bukele and all the shit you know we talked about in the other um bukele episodes about how he um has purposefully uh, when he was running for office and stuff separated himself from the war and you know would say things like oh i'm not you know the the war is over like trying to make you move past it Yeah. yeah and so the um video i saw it basically said the reason why oppressors try so hard to erase their history of oppression is so that they can continue to repeat it. Yeah. And if he's not doing that, he's like the state of exception that was in place before the the war as well. Mass surveillance, checkpoints, a military state. You know what I mean? Like all those things were in place before the Civil War. And, you know, ah, I feel like he's heading that way. Yeah, because what is the end stop to this? What is the end goal? Which is something that I feel like I've asked so many times. Well, it's total control by all costs. You know what I mean? Uh And if if that's if a war is what it takes, he's going to do that, you know? Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's just sad to see. It's so so heartbreaking to to see that everyone's defending this. And it's like, how can you not see the parallels? How can you not see where this is heading? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, I did also want to add that two days ago, there was another image that came out, a video of um, the, this. I'll read it in, in Spanish because uh, that's where it's like it's at um, or how it was written. Sorry. Última hora sacan con fuerte custodia a cientos de presos en El Salvador para limpiar las calles del país. And then they ask, ¿Apoyas la idea de Nayib Bukele que los criminales paguen todo el daño que han hecho con trabajo duro? This is forced labor. 
Um, let me just say that in English for our Spanish challenge friends. So two days ago, there was a video ca that came out where they brought out uh, hundreds of men in custody to clean the streets of the country of El Salvador. And then, you know, this person goes on to ask, do you support the idea of Nayib Bukele to force these criminals to pay the damage they have caused with hard labor? But the video that came out and... I'll send it to you as well, Carmen, so you mm -hmm. can see. But like, yeah, these are not bald, tatted up men, right? These all look like, like if you look at the image of these men, they don't look like the typical Marero mm -hmm. propaganda that has been coming out. So it's, I think, uh, another horrible sign uh, that we're shifting from the the typical parade parading. Yeah, I don't know if that's the right yeah. word. Of crimin of supposed gang members or um, people that you could you're like oh yeah that's a gang member yeah uh, this is no longer them this is like uh, other people in this video and yeah. this is literal slave labor forcing these people to work right um this is free labor these I I I mean and we've gone through this but these are people innocently arrested now being forced to work right. And it's a bad sign that we're seeing non-gangster looking people in these propaganda videos now. <laughs> like, Yeah. And you know what else came out in the indictment? Uh-huh. That the Bukele government purposely like hid uh, Mareros like to not show that they were being like arrested or whatever. Like they let them wear long sleeves um, mm. to cover their tattoos. Mm -hmm. Like just as another step of like hiding <laughs> mm. the... Wow gang members to show that like oh we're not or i don't know colluding with them um yeah. and how can you even trust let's say they are gang members how can you trust the um bukele and his regime ah fucking milo sorry my dog <laughs> he was sitting on me and he sat on my earphone cable and he almost like he jumped off and it was like his legs were on it but it's fine oh now. my god um um how can you trust the bukele um regime to actually be arresting gang members when they have colluded with gang members and protected gang members you know what i mean like and giving them cars and yes. money uh-huh yeah let them escape yeah. extradition if if he truly wanted these gang members to pay for what they've done and i'm saying it like that because quote 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 yeah 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 then he would not have let these top gang members escape extradition. Exactly. And not pay for their crimes here in the United States. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But no, mm -hmm. like he doesn't care. He will work with these gang members to gain and maintain his power, which is what he has done. So yeah. hello, like yep. open your eyes. <laughs> oh my God. Yeah. Yes. Seriously. <sighs> and yeah, especially, especially the quote-unquote diaspora right yeah please stop supporting this man like, like this is not your deal this is this a is dictator not, oh. yes a dangerous man who collaborates with violent people to maintain his power who steals money from salvadorian people mm -hmm. like stop supporting this man yeah yeah Oh, anyway, are you done with the update or no? Yeah, that's more? the end of the update. Okay. okay. Um, so yeah, if you've made it this far, uh, thanks for listening.
It's a good thing I kept it short because we somehow hit an hour. Oh, it's because we ranted <laughs> on and on about. <laughs> we did. <laughs> which is going to happen. So, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we hope that you learned a little today about Juana and uh, with our little updates, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and if you enjoyed the episode, consider leaving a five star rating. If you didn't enjoy it, I don't know why you listened to the end, um, but don't leave a rating. Uh, just move on. <laughs> And share this with someone, yeah, with a friend or something. I don't know. Yeah, your Latina history loving friend or something. <laughs> yes. And we'll catch everyone next time. Bye. Bye.